Is it time for your business to pay it back? Hello, I'm William Eastman, executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. And if this is your challenge as a business owner, then don't miss a single show. Either listen live at 10 o'clock every Saturday on WLEE News Talk 990 or download our podcast at richmondbizlive.com. Every show, we tackle those issues in marketing, sales, people, customers, and finance that are limiting your success. If it's time to get paid back for your years of investment and sacrifice, join us this Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Biz Live. Good morning, Richmond. What a beautiful day it is at 308 Broad Street. Even though it's overcast here in downtown Richmond, it is cool and nice. This is Richmond Biz Live, a business talk show focused on growing existing businesses. The older, the better. The reason that we focus on older businesses is simply this. Richmond, like most communities, are doing an excellent job around startups, incubators, etc., helping the people get out of the chute. But there's nothing out there, and I mean there is nothing out there for the existing businesses except us and so now with our show richmond biz live we're focused on those companies where the owner is looking to get a payback from their years of blood sweat and tears the years of sacrifice everything that they've demanded of themselves and of their families and if that's you and you're looking you're saying to yourself now is the time to get paid back you are in the right start uh, right in the right spot so join us on our journey of growing richmond's economy one company at a time and be that company by calling in at 844-249 5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844.bizlive for you, those of you that may be in a vehicle. So um, what I want to do is introduce our new producer, at least for today. That's right. Uh, Ryan Parco. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Bill. Happy to be sitting in for uh, Mr. Billy Flynn today. Yeah, the indomitable Mr. Flynn. Yeah, the Trekkie. The I don't Trekkie. have the knowledge like he does. but Oh, no. but Or Doctor Who. Don't get him That's going right. on Doctor okay. Who. <laughs> and so... Well, I'm glad uh, I've worked with Ryan a couple times, but this is the first time that we've been in the studio That's together. Right. And so I appreciate uh, I, I appreciate everything you do for us because without you, there is no show here. Not a problem. Okay, so Happy anytime to you want to jump in, uh, please do. Okay. Uh, the other thing I'd like to do is I'd like to welcome uh, one of our newest partners in our journey to grow this economy, and that is the Central Virginia African American Chamber of Commerce. So I had a great meeting yesterday with Brian Taylor, who is the Director of Membership, and uh, we are going to be working hard and fast within that organization to help them grow their companies. And it, it, there is this, the message is the same everywhere, only here I think it's even more relevant is that one of the challenges that the African-American communi- community has had over the years is the production of wealth within the community. And the only way to do that is through owning your own business and growing it. So I am, I am excited about our partnership, and I'm looking forward to working with them um, here over the next couple of weeks. And my guess is, all right, we will have a featured guest next week, and Brian's going to be in the studio. Okay, so uh, let me say the same thing that I say every week. Every segment, every topic is authored by a business expert that is not only a recognized, whether it's international, national, or local, as a thought leader in their subject area, but they're also business owners. What you hear is, in theory, this is how we're running our businesses. And I know that you've heard me talk about it many times. Three days a week, I'm vice president of a manufacturing company in southwest Virginia. And basically, I'm running it. And what am I doing? I'm implementing everything that we've talked about in season one, which is focused on the 80% companies, and everything that we are now talking about uh, this season, season two, about the 15% companies. And I'm going to go there a little bit more. But basically, uh, we we use our stuff day in and day out to not only help our businesses grow, but to help our customers and clients. So what you could do for yourself 
is that you can join us every Saturday at 10.06 and be here where we will cover information that is priceless. You cannot get access to this exclusive information and certainly not at the price tag that you can today. And so now today's show, we're going to be focusing on three things. We're going to be focusing on the subject of productivity, which has to do with how well your systems and processes operate. Number two is we're going to be talking about performance. Uh, somebody has got to do that work, and unless we've automated the universe, that's, that means people. And then finally, the third piece, I'm going to be talking about uh, owner as executive, which is one of the major challenges for most business owners, and why they can't get beyond the founder trap is that they don't know what they don't know. And so just like a promotion in a large corporation forces you to change your approach to leading and managing a work group, a department, a division, or a company, Growth demands the same thing of a business owner, and unfortunately, if the business owner has never been through that before, they don't have any knowledge of it. Well, I want to kind of close that gap. And so now, where we are is we are in the studio, and we are about to talk about uh, productivity. And what I want to do is, before I introduce Andy Schulich from Metamorphosis uh, Management Consulting, is I, I want to open with the concept of 51580 that we've talked about. Is And in the research that we have done over the years... Uh, and this was research that was done between the Kauffman Foundation and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and we participated in it, we correlated against our database, is that they identified that there's three types of small businesses currently in the United States. There are the 5% who are market dominators. They own their niche, they own their market, they're doing very well, and their concern is how do we sustain it? Because what they know is that if they don't reinvent themselves, they're going to go out of business. They, they, you cannot maintain that position for very long. Then there's the 15% that are doing reasonably well. They've got enough money in the business. The question that they've got is what's next? And so there's some confusion about how do I become the 5% company? How do I break out like those firms? And then finally, there's the 80% companies. And the 80% companies are those businesses that are just hanging on. And, of course, back in 2007, 2008, that was a lot of companies. Now the 80% that are still hanging on, are fairly well-run businesses uh, because all of the bad companies are gone. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of use that as my intro into talking about the area of productivity. And specifically, Andy Schuick is going to be um, hammering on the topic of manufacturing flexibility. So good morning, Andy. Well, good morning, Bill. How are you this morning? I am doing great. I mean, I'm just rocking and rolling. Maybe, I know you are, maybe, you're maybe, fired up. <laughs> maybe too much coffee this morning. But anyway, good seeing you back in the studio. So, well, glad Andy, to be let's roll. Okay, well, on the subject of manufacturing flexibility, really what that means is total business flexibility because manufacturing is just a segment of the business. And if you don't have total flexibility, you can't do it. You know, it's like a baseball team. If you have a good pitcher but a poor catcher, you're not going to win. Yep. So, you know, it has everybody has to have their and perform their duties as outlined. Well, you know, as you stated, you have the studies of the uh, – uh, businesses at 15% level have developed the capability to alter their production rates by 15%. This means go up 15% or even come down 15%. So, question to the audience, well, what does this really mean to you, having this flexibility of 15%? Think about it. Well, what we've seen is businesses in the 80% performance level have little to no stability in the demand for the firm's products or service because they're always out there selling and they're hoping to sell, but they don't have that firm commitment of week-to-week week what they're going to produce. When uh, advancing to the 15% level, the firms have established a fixed demand level 
because they have consistent um, people that buy from them or customers, and they are seeking new and variable demands in hopes of turning them into these future consistent demands. Um, this fixed demand plus the business's ability to achieve operational efficiencies really has allowed the business to achieve some financial stability to where it now has cash reserves and has gained the ability to obtain loans, which is really, I think, a key item for growth. Do you not agree with that? Ben? Oh, I, abso I absolutely agree with that because I think it's an interesting take on it, Andy, is that the 80 percenters, uh, the challenge you got is that they're so opportunistic because I'll take anything, yes. is that they bring in business that does not fit necessarily fit their manufacturing process or their production process. And then what happens is that they don't know how to do it mm -hmm. and they make mistakes. And by the time they get done, they paid whoever that customer was, they paid the bill debt for them. That's and so it's the 15% companies who are finally there where they've got a kind of a stable base of customers and they know who fits their sweet spot and that's who they're selling to. Yeah. So in all these business, 15% uh, businesses, all functional areas of the business must be fully engaged and working at peak performance to achieve success to properly support this fluctuation in the production environment of this plus and minus 15%. Right. And Right, and as, as Andy, before you move on, is I want everybody to remember is that in season one when Andy was talking about the area of lean manufacturing, the issue of lean manufacturing, is the absolute premise of it is it's all demand-based. In other words, you don't build anything until somebody bought it, and therefore you don't have a lot of money tied up in inventory, you don't have a lot of money tied up in the production process. Somebody has bought it, you know you can sell it. Well, manufacturing flexibility gives you the ability to, at any moment, be able to say, we're going to build X for this particular client. You don't have large batch runs. you got very short runs uh, and low inventory. And so I just want to remind everybody that when we talk about flexibility here, we're talking about one of the underpinnings of lean manufacturing is, the, is that ability to change over what you're doing very quickly, and so there's no real cost of shifting from making X to Y. Right. That is correct. So when we look at this, what factors cause this uh, need in flexibility? What, what is causing the company to go ahead and, and have this flexibility? Think about that for about a minute and say to yourself, you know, what have I seen in my business that causes flexibility on the way I have to address it? Well, one of the things that, that I've come up with and, and experienced is growth in existing customer markets, Okay. As your product gets better, you start to get more and more customers. So this is repeat sales to the same customer base. But then, you know, if they talk to their friends, it may help grow your customer base. Therefore, you get new customer growth. So you have an increase due to this. Or you may say, I started out in Richmond, but now I want to expand it to Virginia, mm -hmm. the state of Virginia, and then maybe larger later on. New products. You know, Coke is a good place here. They came out with Coke and was out for years and years, and then they came out with Diet Coke because there was a trend to reduce uh, calorie intakes. Seasonal product pr products that you produce. You know, if you look at a lawn care uh, company, you know, it's seasonal where in the summer it's all grass cutting. But what do they do on the winter months? Well, maybe that's where they can talk to people into doing their mulch areas <laughs> because... They can get the mulching at that point in time. Um, random impact events. 
um, you know, unfortunately, you have hurricanes and storms. And if you're in, say, the manufacturing of sheetrock, you know, this could be a big impact because now, say, when we had the last one up in New York, it destroyed a lot of stuff. So now we have to rebuild. So all of a sudden, there's this big demand for more sheetrock. And how do you address that so you can go ahead and produce more and become more profitable and a stronger business? Um, reduction in competitors. Um, I personally had something very uh, close to me in the last week or so. Um, about two years ago, uh, my garbage collection, another company came through and decided to go ahead and offer a lower price. So half the people on my block switched. Well, as it turned out, I got a letter last week saying, okay, um, my original garbage collector has now sold his residential group to the new company that came in two years ago because I think he lost so much in revenue that it didn't make sense to keep it up. He still has the commercial end, mm -hmm. but, but not the residential end. And maybe the sell-off was a good proposition for him. Um, product or services regulated by standards or certification changes. Uh, you see a lot of this uh, when you in the industry where you see, um, say, uh, Underwriters Laboratory, which deals with electrical systems, maybe the National Electric Code comes out with new upgrades to their criteria, and now you have to go ahead and adjust your UL uh, testing, and which in turn causes you as a manufacturer of electrical equipment to change your product to meet those standards. So that's sort of a, an overview of what some of the factors uh, can cause the need for flexibility. Uh, what we want to look at is what is needed to achieve this flexibility. Well, you know, because you're now in the 15% range, uh, you have the ability, because of your financial position, to maybe go in and buy some extra equipment and not have it run all the time, sit there idle to adjust to these um, impacts right. times. Um, you really need to have cross-training of employees to be able to perform multiple tasks. And this is your in people investment. Um, implementation of overtime. Maybe you only work an A shift, so you can go to a B shift or a partial of a B shift. And even though it costs you more money uh, in labor, that may be a small portion yeah. of the total cost. And I'll give you an example of that is right now we've got um, one specific client that demands a little bit different process than our commercial clients. I'll put it that way. And right now, what we're considering is adding a second shift uh, on our CNC iron cutting machines in order to handle that. And so uh, we're not going to add a complete shift. What we're going to do is we're going to start cutting earlier in the day and run later in the night because we make no money if the CNC machine's not operating. But that's a good example of because we brought in lean, we've got that ability to be flexible in our production process, and we are not going to add a lot of payroll. We're not going to add a lot of overtime because we're going to have two CNC operators. And even if you add that, that you've already have that equipment sitting around for 24 hours. You have the facility. You're paying electricity, heating, a air conditioning. Absolutely. So that, that overtime cost is very minimal. Um, uh, hiring and training part-time employees. And this is one way to do it. But in today's day and age, depending upon your business, you can actually have these people work out of their home. 
And this yep. is great for mothers that want to stay and be there to be able to let right. the kids go to school and then pick them up when they come off the bus. Right, because when we talk about production and productivity, we you know what happens to everybody's heads is they go to manufacturing. We're talking about any process where you're delivering anything. If you're in the service business, you are running a manufacturing business. It's just a whole lot different. Is that you're not making parts, you're creating experiences. And in that environment, then the whole issue of where people work from, um, it becomes interesting. In a factory, well, you know, they got they got to be at the plant. Mm-hmm. But if they're in service, well, where's the plant? The plant is where their computer is. Right. And, and then you might have something else also here where you have uh, – you can go ahead to outside resources to make what you make internal when you need extra. And I experienced this uh, with a company, and they would then go out and contract it. They tracked it so they knew exactly what it cost them to produce it in-house. They added a uh, fee to it so that the guy would go ahead and uh, be able to go ahead and make a profit because that's the relationship, and so it worked out very, very well. Uh, one of the other things we want to look at is well, what are some of the benefits? Um, quick to ramp up to meet uh, spikes in customers' demands, and we addressed a little bit of this. Ability to implement test markets and new product releases. Uh, developing a strong supplier distribution um, and customer relationships. This is the name of the game because now if you have something that comes up immediately, you go to your supplier and say, hey, I got something and they have the relationship where they will may bump one of their smaller jobs for your job. Very, very important. Absolutely. And development of strong financial stability. It keeps gaining that. Recognition is becoming as you are becoming a major business player. You're growing. And um, you're positioning the business to advance to that 5% business performance level. Yeah, and, and, and Andy, Andy's sitting on an issue that I don't think that we accentuate enough on the show, and that is if you're an 80% company, which is was season one, our sole goal is to get you the 15%. This season, we're focused on the 15 percenters, and what's the goal, Andy? For everybody to go to the five percenters. That's where we're at. So that you are a That's market right. leader or, or you dominate your niche, you are the dog. When, every, when anybody thinks about what it is that you make or offer, the first thing, top of mind, they think about is you. Right. So as the business transitions through, uh, you know, this 20% level, it is applying continuous improvement methodology, changes, uh, management techniques, and growth development to get to the 15%, and then still refining these items, it really gets you the flexibility to advance to the 5%. And which we got a whole season starting in right. October uh, on that one, and that's going to be a great deal of fun. And we've got to, we're going to be introducing some new talent uh, to our listener base. Okay, so Andy, so uh, closing out here, let's talk about this. How how do they use flexibility to move them from the fifteen percent to the five? Well, what it allows you to do is to go ahead and grow. And again, as I said, as you go ahead and develop that flexibility into what I call the structured product that you're providing day in and day out, the orders you have, and getting new um, customers, which develops new flexibility. It helps you to grow into becoming that top 5% company and to become very financial stable. So with that in mind, um, 
let's look at our, 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 our next show. And on this, what we want to do is to investigate uh, and focus on time and energy on applying controlled resource to accomplish assignments and produce defined deliverables. And this is very, very important. Uh, so, Andy, how do people get a hold of you? Okay, uh, they can get a hold of me by contacting me uh, at on the web at metamorphosis.mc.com or go to Richmond Biz Live and catch me there. Yeah, on the resource, hit the resources section. You see Andy's great face there out in front of the mic. Click it, and you're at his website. Andy, as always, fun working with you, and it's a great topic area. And I tell you what, uh, Andy juices me up because every time we do this, I go back to work in Salem. And uh, I've got some new ideas about <laughs> how to get this plant ship shaped. So, uh, with that, thanks, Andy. Good, Thank good you. seeing you, man. Enjoyed it. And you are listening to Richmond Biz Live. We'll be back. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic full-life experience, contact me, Andy Schulich, for a free consultation on the web at metamorphosismc.com. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me every Saturday at 10 o'clock to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live, um, a business talk radio show broadcast every Saturday morning at 10.06 from Richmond, Virginia on WLEE News Talk 990. Um, And if you want to reach the show, there's a couple ways you can play. One is, and I'm waving at the webcam, you can go to richmondbizlive.com, and on there you have some choices. One is you can watch us, which will hook into the webcam, um, or two, you can listen over the web and stream it, or number three, obviously, because if you're hearing this right now, you are tuned in at 9.90 a.m. All right, so now what we're going to do is we've got two more segments today, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up on the performance end. And as we I talked about earlier with Andy and, and, and some of the other sessions, is that performance is the other side of productivity, is that productivity is about setting up the systems and infrastructure to run so that we can maximize the use of our equipment so that we can have a very flexible system, so that we can respond to demand, uh, so that we can run at about 95% capacity. So to give you an example of that, without uh, providing any numbers, when we did the numbers on the facility we are doing in Southwest Virginia, it became obvious that we were running the plant at about 70% capacity. Uh, in other words, uh, the numbers that it was quite a few million dollars more if we were to run the plant at 95%. And that gave me the ability to look at then saying, okay, if we could run here with the personnel and equipment we have, if we implement everything, which has to also do with some inventory and some other issues, then that means that we could go out and aggressively sell to produce that much business. Because the fear we have in the company right now as sales are going up is can we do the work? Well, 
part of that is going to come down to who do I have in those jobs. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to I'm going to talk about team involvement. Um, some people would call it team building. I'm not going to go that far because the uh, that's a whole topic that in 15 minutes I absolutely cannot cover. But what I want to talk about are, are two component pieces of this, and that is is that I'm a member of a work group. So what we know is that unless I'm in an isolated uh, uh, booth, you know, a little cube, uh, I'm basically working at least at a, at a work group level or a department level with other people. And so the issue that becomes is how can I get more teamwork out of that work environment that I'm currently getting? So a group is nothing more than a gaggle of people who are together, while a team is has some characteristics to it. And two of those characteristics, um, it, one of them is significance of membership. In other words, I'm a member of this group, and it gives me a sense of identity within the organization that I consider to be positive. Now, again, without getting into a lot of the psychological issues is that we've seen some companies, we see groups that are anti the organization and there's some status in being knows. I'm not going there, especially in given the role I got right now, because those people I don't want to manage. And so let's assume that the, that the group is positive. I'm in machine cell. There should be significance to being a member of that group. Why? Because of two issues. One is how is it performing, which is Andy's been addressing. And number two, what's the level of camaraderie that we have going on in the group. And so significance of membership means how much do I identify with this work group, and that has to do with how well that we perform our jobs and how well we work together. So the issue of camaraderie, how do we, uh, how do we assess that, or even better, how do we build it? Now, I was just looking over my notes, and I believe two shows back, or the last time I talked about performance, I was talking about the leadership side. And if I go back two shows before then, I talked a little bit about group development. So let me kind of cover a little ground before um, I get into the details. And that is, just like people go through development levels uh, when they acquire new sets of skills, which was last uh, last week's uh, focus, uh, groups also go through stages of development that talk about dynamics. And so there's a, a real simple model called form, storm, norm, perform. And what that basically says is this. When you throw a group of people together that don't know each other, uh, before they've never met, they don't know each other, etc. That's the forming stage. And what typically happens here is that everybody is checking each other out. It's kind of like uh, if there was dogs, you would call this the sniffing time. And so everybody's trying to figure who's who because everybody has in their own mind where they stand in some sort of social hierarchy. Um, so the issue here is that I think I'm smarter than Ryan. Ryan thinks he's smarter than me. That's right. How do we get to the storm phase? is we'll be working on something, and then suddenly I'll say, we ought to do it this way, and Ryan says, bull. <laughs> I didn't finish that statement, because Ryan would probably say it with a little bit more. Yeah, emphasis. with more gusto. Yeah. That's right. You'd go, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so you go from form to storm pretty quickly, because what happens is you have people vying for leadership. Now, this leadership could be the leadership of the informal leadership of the group itself, or it could be leadership on a particular subject area. You know, like if Billy and I would be scrapping about is Battlestar Galactica better Naturally, than yeah. Star Trek. And, of course, I don't believe, I, I just don't understand how he could take that position. That, okay. that one is better than the other. And so what happens in the storm phase is we go back and forth, and eventually one of us proves to be correct. And what happens within the group then, and that gets us to the third phase, the kind of what we call norming, the group begins to develop rules, is if we're on subject A, they're not going to listen to Bill, they're going to listen to Ryan. On subject B, because I've demonstrated I know more than Ryan, they're going to listen to me and not him. 
And so what happens is you kind of get into that norming where you got rules about how we agree and also rules about how we fight. And then finally, the perform stage, which is the last stage, all that really means is that a lot of the group dynamic stuff has been taken away. It's no longer there. It is no longer getting in the way of the group dynamics, and then you can kind of focus on where we're at. Now, how do I build camaraderie? I cannot get camaraderie in a group until I can get them to at least that third stage, that norm stage, because otherwise, it, because of conflict, and everybody handles conflict differently, there are some people for whom conflict doesn't bother a great deal. There are other people who can't stand it. And so if I want people to feel good about being in this group, that this group does something significant, not only in terms of the work it turns out, but also the way that we work together, the camaraderie, is that we've got to get to the group to where it's at least to the norming phase. Because if we don't, uh, I'm not going to consider this group kind of important. Now, as a leader, how do I influence that? Well, I influence this in a couple ways. One is I never let the group... Uh, get removed from the task or assignment that we've got. I cannot let the group dynamics totally hijack the job we got to do. On the other hand, I also can have some understanding that when I put a group of people together on a particular assignment, let's say that we're forming a group, not dealing with an existing one, I'm forming a group of people, is that there's a rule here that we use in the business and we say to go faster, you got to go slower. So if you give the group a little bit more time to get its act together, get to know each other, to begin some of those processes, the quicker they get they that they move that they establish a level of relationship and they get into the conflict phase, the quicker we can get out of it. You cannot prevent it as the leader because then they'll they'll fight uh, behind your back. I'd rather have them fight in front of me so that I can kind of help that out. Now, when the group gets to stage three and the norming stage. Can I affect the rules? Well, I absolutely can affect the rules. Even though the rules of that group have to be the group's rules, what I allow and what I don't allow along the way will establish that. And so as the leader, I, I've just got to understand that an existing group and a new group are different. And with the new group, I've got to give them some time up front to kind of work out the issues. When an existing group, then the issue becomes, so who are the deviants? Who are the people who are the outliers of that group? And you've got to ask yourself the question, are the outliers, the people who are not accepted by the group members, where do they stand relative to what the company's trying to accomplish? Uh, are they positive or are they negative? Because if they're negative, then you, what you want to do is you want to reinforce where the group is, and you might want to take action on those deviants to try to bring them back in. And I'm, by the way, I'm using the word deviant because it's a technical term. Um, and, and if you look at the literature, that's what you would see. They're not deviants in the, sex, in the sense that they're sex offenders or something like that, you know. Anyway, the last thing we need in the job. Uh, or if they're positive and you look at them going, man, I wish I had more of those, then it tells you that the, that the norms of the group are such that the group needs some modification. So if that's the case, then you, want, you may want to consider is who's in charge of that group and perhaps making some leadership changes to somebody who is more positive to the organization. Now, I'm, trying, I'm making this sound like it's science and it's kind of if-then-else algorithm. The, the reality of it is my experience in business is that this has always been a, um, a difficult dance to pull off. It's, it's as much art as it is science. But I think that you simply look at existing groups to say, who are the, uh, who are the outliers? Are the outliers positive or negative in your mind in terms of what the company is trying to create? How, how much disruption or power do the outliers have? because they will tell you what the group norms are. 
Sometimes it's hard to spot the group norms, see the people who are ostracized or on the outside, and that'll tell you what the group norms are because um, that's that's why they're on the outside. So how do I make my work groups more um, uh, more um, productive? Uh, we talked about the, the issue of, of building the camaraderie and the personal relationships. The other part of this is how I handle tasks and assignments. Uh, I would recommend, if it is at all possible, to begin to give the work groups budgets. Uh, now I'm talking about strictly from a management perspective, and that is um, we, we run on a project base in southwest Virginia. And so what we've done is we've moved projects to the floor. And so when you, when you I mean project budgets, so in the past you knew that you had to produce X. There were so many pieces that went from this machine to this machine this machine. You try to get it done in a normal work day. If you didn't, then you asked and usually got overtime. Now the supervisor has got a budget that says it's got to be built within this time frame from here to here. Here's the labor hours you have, and here is your current defect rate, and that defect rate is being taken out of your budget. In other words, if we have to build 105 to get 100, we got a defect rate of 5. In our case, um, each one of the pieces of material that we use are about $150. If we have a defect rate of 5%, we have a $750 charge against the budget. And so one of the ways that I am raising the productivity level of the groups is having them assign the budgets to run by and then using that to help them with their interpersonal dynamics, which has been basically the focus of what we've been we've been talking about over the last couple minutes. And so those are the things that I can do as a, as a business leader. But what I would recommend you do is kind of a pullback from the whole situation is watch those groups perform and see, see who the outliers are. And the outliers probably tell you more than anything else about the group. Also identify who is the informal leader. In other words, if you were to make a poster child for that work group, who would be that person? And then just compare one against the other to say, where do you want to be? Usually it's not one or the other. Usually what happens is that it is some blend of, I like a couple things of this guy, but this part of him I don't like at all. And so what I want to do is I want to move him out of there. Um, and you can manipulate, uh, that's probably a bad word, you can you can influence this uh, to a great deal on, on what work assignments you give them, the treatment you give them. And as we talked about last week, is that as far as a leader goes, you have two decisions on, on how to approach it. Lots, of, lots or little direction, lots of or a little bit of support. And the issue with group dynamics is typically it's a lot of supportive behavior from the leader. Uh, so with that, uh, let me kind of close out the segment to say I'll have something up on the website uh, later today on specific area around teamwork and group dynamics so that you can take a look at it. This is WLEE News Talk 990, and this is Richmond Biz Live and richmondbizlive.com. We'll be back. Hello, I'm William Eastman. You know me as the executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. In my other role as managing partner of the Growth Works, I spend time helping business owners get their companies on track and paying them back for years of investment and sacrifice. However, before I can make the necessary changes, you must answer the following question. Where are you? In our research, we have identified three types of small business, 80% that are just getting by, 15% who are doing okay but wondering what's next, and then there's the 5% who dominate a market or a niche, and what they're wondering is, how do I break out? So I pose the question to you, where are you? If you want to understand this question and the significance of the answer better, go to our membership site, growthworks.net, and download our paper on where are you. 
Learn how to move from the 80% to the 15 and from the 15 to the 5%. This level of success and profitability is within your reach. Gain the advantage over your competitors by downloading it today. is Richmond Biz Live. The website is richmondbizlive.com. The phone number is 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844.bizlive. And this is your host, William Eastman, executive producer of the show, along with my uh, partner here in crime, uh, Ryan and Portico. And uh, I'm going to finish up our segment today with owner as the executive. And the how we're going to spend the next uh, 10 12, 15 minutes is this, is that most owners, uh, unless they're escapees from large corporations or they have had the experience of living in a large company, understand the issue of as you get promoted, as you move through the organization, you've got to change your leadership and management approach. Um, if you try to, if, if you're a first line, if you start as a first line supervisor and suddenly you're an executive and you try to run the company uh, uh, as a first line supervisor, you'll be without a job very quickly. And so each level of the organization demands a different set of skills and a different set of approaches. Well, change does the same thing to a small business, and unfortunately a lot of you in the audience uh, have not experienced that. And so what that demands of you is kind of a change. So let me talk about that change a little bit before I get into today's topic, because what we're going to be talking about is the issue of appropriate funding and sufficient resources. And it, this all comes from Pete Drucker. Um, I, I never had the good fortune of meeting Mr. Drucker personally when he was alive, but I'm a de devotee. There's very few people uh, in the management philosophy, management theory business as smart and as right as Peter Drucker has been since the 1940s. Uh, but anyway, let's look at it this way. When, when most small businesses start, it's a hub-and-spoke operation. And what I mean by hub-and-spoke is that the owner is the hub, all the employees are spokes. Well, if you have three spokes, that's pretty easy to run. you got five spokes, that gets pretty easy to run maybe even seven, but when you get around 10, 12, 15 spokes, it overwhelms the owner. It becomes more than the owner can do. I don't care how many hours you work. I don't care how focused you are. I don't care how smart you are. At some point, work has stopped, and people are waiting for you to make a decision or carry something out. And in a small company, you can't afford to have anybody who is not productively employed for their full work day. And so what happens here is the demand on the business owner is to move from a hub-and-spoke to a process-based mentality of the business. In other words, we put processes in place for customer service. We put processes in place uh, for production. We put processes in place for every major part of the company. And what the owner then does is the owner then either manages whether the process is being run correctly or, and chances are at this point, you have brought in a layer of management whether or not the, um, your managers are doing that, but you move from hub and spoke or direct supervision to managing a process. Once the processes are in place and they're working, and this could take you a couple months, it could take a couple years, and you're confident that if people follow the process, then they'll get the intended result, then the third step here in how the business is run is the owner moves from that approach, the owner moves to a, okay, I'm going to manage the business by results. In other words, this department has to maintain these metrics in order to achieve the following. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to look at how they do business. I'm going to look at the end result of what their work is. But you can't do that if the processes aren't in place. And then finally, the last step is you move from results 
is that you move more into a team-based environment or a project-based environment where now what you're doing with the company, and this will make more sense to you in season three when we talk about this whole thing about becoming a five percenter, but the, you manage by putting together teams of people to work on specific problems that are outside the boundaries of how the company typically operates. And so this whole segment uh, of what we did last season, this season, and next season on owner as executive is understand is that we're making a transition from hub and spoke to process base and from process base to results. And this particular season is we're going to be talking a transition from process base to results. So now today's show is going to be talking about one of the principles uh, or fundamentals of Peter Drucker's approach about looking at resources and funding. And that is this is doing fewer things better, fully financed, makes more sense than trying to get a lot of things done. If you think about how companies, and let's take strategic planning, though that's not necessarily the focus uh, of today's segment. Let's take strategic planning. It's just an example is that what companies will do, they'll build this laundry list of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten items, things that they want to get done in the year. And they all may be valid in terms of, yes, those are things the company's got to do. But then when you look at the resource base, you realize is that what, what is always scarce? Cash is always scarce. Human resources are scarce. And I would also conjure up that focus. In other words, giving people a specific focus. That's also a scarce resource because people can't focus on too many things at once. So the, the, the Drucker approach here is, okay, put those in a priority order. And we all know about the Pareto principle that um, 80% of something comes usually comes from 20%. In other words, there are a few things 20% of anything is important and 80% is trivial. So what you want to do is you want to isolate of that list, let's say of 10, two of those items are absolutely essential to the future of the company or two of those items will go the longest at achieving what you're trying to uh, get done or they'll have the greatest impact on the organization. But put your strategic initiatives in a priority order. Then fund the first one fully. In other words, if it calls for a million dollars and that's what it takes, then spend, then appropriate a million bucks on it. And if that means you have a dollar left, then that means you do one thing that year. But guess what? The alternative and what most companies will do, they'll take that million dollars and spread it across the 10. So each one gets, you know, a hundred, maybe 150,000 at most. And at the end of the year, you got none of them done. None of them were done because none of them were fully financed. And you said, man, we wasted our money. And so what that means is that you take the most critical item and you fully fund it. You fully fund it with money. You fully fund it re- with resources. And if you got anything left, you move on to number two. And if you got, after you're done with number two, if you got anything left, you go to number three. But the idea here is that I've, what I've got to stop doing is saying everything is important and I'm going to spread my resources out. I'm going to look at what is the most important thing that I can do today with my business. And I'm going to fully fund that. And I'm going to give that all of the all the resources are that are required to get it done. I go back to my experience right now in Southwest Virginia, is that lean manufacturing is where our focus has been. Everything that we do is on lean. We've got a couple other areas that we're trying to 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 improve, but quite frankly, we're not putting much time and energy into those because it's not essential to where the future of the company is. It's everything about how do they become the lowest cost producer in their market. And I said lowest cost producer, not lowest price. Lowest cost producer in their market so they can make it better, faster, 
uh, and for less than anybody else, and then use price and their margin as a weapon. But everything else is on the outside boundaries of focusing on lean. And now, as we are getting close to being done with that next piece, where are we headed? Everything is going to be about the aggressive growth of sales through appropriate marketing uh, with new accounts as well as organic sales with existing accounts. Uh, and I'll give you an example of that. And again, I'm going to try to, to, to clean this up so you don't know who I'm talking about because that's not fair to my client. But uh, we are we found ourselves in a position of being a bid house. And what I mean by a bid house is that we are we are responding to RFPs, requests for proposals. And typically when you're there, what people are doing is shopping a price. Now, maybe you can get a little bit more than your competitors if you can show more technical specification. But typically, if you're in that end of the world, uh, it, it's a price-based world. I want out of there. I want to get them out of there. So we're, we're going to change our focus here shortly as we move ourselves into the 15% category and out of the 80% is that we are going to be looking at some of the new accounts that we've just started. We've got new vendors that we've been working with, and so far we've done a very good job of keeping them happy. We're going to go now upsell them so that instead of waiting for the bid to come out, when they're getting ready to do something, they're going to call us up and they're going to go, here's a copy of a proposal we're working on for so-and-so. Can you give me a price quote? And they're going to put it in the contract or they're going to put it in the bid. And so instead of waiting to bid on it like everybody else, we're going to be in at the very beginning, and depending upon the nature, you know, if it's a government contract, obviously you got to go through. There's some hoops you got to go through, but I think you get the concept here. And so where Drucker was going on everything was you take a look at the situation and you say, of what I'm looking at, what is the most important, the most critical, and I'm going to put all of the funding that it requires and all of the resources that it needs and if I have nothing left, then I have nothing left. And we'll do that one thing. And I would hazard a guess, uh, uh, talking to the business owners out there in the audience, if you thought about the last time that you got, I wouldn't say confused, but let's just say that you went after three or four things at once and tried to spread your resources, my, uh, my guess is none of it went well and you felt like you wasted money. This way, I'm going to attack the one thing that I need to get done and I'm going to spend the money on it. And that's how you get past this, well, we're broke, we're not doing very well, I don't know if we should spend the money there. Well, pick the one thing that's going to make a difference and spend the money because otherwise every day is Groundhog Day. So anyway, that's my kind of my piece on owner's executive and the, the best practices here of, of, of appropriate funding and providing sufficient resources. And I'll also have something up on the website on this later today. All right, so we got ourselves down now. We've got about seven minutes left in the show. And so I want to I want to talk a little bit about a few things that uh, that uh, interest me and uh, news that I think you need to hear. First of all, I'd like to start off by sending out a, a warm message to a good friend of mine who runs a um, CRM company, CRM Strategist, CM, uh, CRM Partners, Ben Meredith. Um, I'm sure Ben's listening to the show today. In fact, Ben was going to be on the show. But there were some uh, medical issues up there that my friend had to take care of. So I'm sending out warm greetings to Ben uh, to get healthy, get well, because next season, Ben, you're supposed to be in the studio with me. When we first came up with this idea in April, I thought you would be here. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is I also want to, again, thank uh, Brian Taylor for a great meeting yesterday. And I can't tell you how excited we are 
about working with the Central Virginia African American uh, Chamber of Commerce. Um, we, we, this whole thing about this country and where we are right now is that we've got, we've got to be building wealth in all of the communities and especially the African American community. And the only way to do that is not through a job, certainly not through a government handout. It's, it's about creating something for yourself and creating wealth because you transformed your idea, your dream into reality. And then you have money to leave to your family and leave them better off than you were. And that's always been a challenge, and it's been kind of the highlight of this country. So I am w- looking forward to that. I'd also like to do a, a, a shout-out to our, our Kansas City operation and my good friend and partner, Rich Retzer, out in Kansas City. And Rich has been doing some incredible work uh, with Minority Business Development and Supplier Councils, where we're doing much the same thing as we're doing with the African-American Chamber of Commerce here. And um, Rich has been in that business for a long time, uh, he is an expert in marketing and sales and has really been a great help. And uh, we, our Kansas City operation couldn't be doing better right now. And, in fact, I think we have been talking about, on in October, starting a radio show like this in uh, Kansas City. It won't be syndicated because this is about Richmond. The show in Kansas City has got about Kansas City. And then the last shout-out I want to offer up is to my other partner, who uh, he and I started the company together, Kevin Granger. Uh, and Kevin kind of... Uh, uh, travels between our other two centers, one in Las Vegas and the other one in Calgary, Alberta. And uh, the issue of Las Vegas is that somebody's got to manage the West Coast, and uh, I find Nevada much more desirable to live in than California. Uh, as a business owner who pays taxes, I think you'll find that also is pretty good. And Vegas is a cool town. And the other thing is we have our Canadian operations are, are centered out of uh, Calgary, Alberta. And uh, what a great place. If I wasn't from the United States, I'd be an Albertan. Um, you know, the, the joke up there is, Al, is Alberta North Texas or is Texas South Alberta? But uh, they're, they're, they're entrepreneurs, they're business people. They live in the big sky country like you would find in Wyoming and Montana. The place is beautiful. And, uh, and, the, and the summers, I mean, the winters are not that bad. And so, so anyway, I just thought I would uh, take a few minutes here to talk to some of my colleagues. Ben, get better. Rich, keep up, and uh, and the same with you, Kevin. And now, as we we close, we bring an end to the show. Let me talk about what's going to happen next week. And as I've been uh, as I've been pumping, and as Andy's been pumping, is that season two, which uh, we are moving into show uh, five uh, of um, of season two. We call it show nineteen, but it's the fifth show of this season. Um, what we're going to be talking about is. Creating a monthly budget, and Linda Heath is going to be in the studios for Financial Holographics, talking about uh, creating monthly budgets. Last last one we did was on cash flow. Um, we're going to have Mike Carroll in the studio, who's going to be talking about formal customer development and uh, what his business, his company, Focus Business, is part of the Sandler Institute. Great, great people on the area of sales, and if anybody knows how to talk about business development, it's going to be Mike. And then finally, I'm going to be closing up with the issue of service. And I, I want to say that if you did not download uh, my my job app or my job aid on customer expectations, do so right now. Go to richmondbizlive.com, go to the resources page, and then in the very top you'll see ideas you can use. Uh, you'll find uh, a, a PDF on customer expectations. And I can tell you right now, everything you need to know on how to improve your customer service is in those six or seven pages. And, of course, if you've got any questions, you can always reach us and at uh, 844-249-5483.
That's 844-249-5483. And uh, during the show, that number comes directly into the studio. The rest of the time, that number comes directly into our organization, and we will direct you to the right person. So with that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to thank all our listeners for uh, being in. And, and Ryan, I'm looking forward to working together again. Are you going to be here next week? No, I won't be here. Um, Billy should be back for you. Bad boy Billy's going to be back. He'll be back. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) Well, thanks, Ryan, and I appreciate you being here today. And I also want to thank everybody at WLE uh, News Talk 990 Studios, Jim Jacobs, and the whole team, Selvin. uh, How how do I say Selvin's last name, Paredes? Paredes, yeah, Paredes. You got it, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I took German, not Spanish, so I, yeah. if it's a Deutsch name, I have no problems. In Spanish, I kind of always looking for help. And the last thing I'd like to say is that my condolences to the to Brian Hill and his family. Um, Brian uh, is uh, head of sales here at the WLE, and uh, Brian passed away last weekend. So it was I, I just found out about it yesterday when I was in the studio. And so our, our thoughts and prayers uh, to Brian's family. So with that, wealth and prosperity to everybody. See you next Saturday. Is it time for your business to pay it back? Hello, I'm William Eastman, executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. And if this is your challenge as a business owner, then don't miss a single show. Either listen live at 10 o'clock every Saturday on WLE News Talk 990 or download our podcast at richmondbizlive.com. Every show, we tackle those issues in marketing, sales, people, customers, and finance that are limiting your success. If it's time to get paid back for your years of investment and sacrifice, join us this Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Biz Live.